<laughs> I see eyes, I see eyes. And she starts panicking and I'm like, I have no idea because I don't know where the, they're at. And I'm like, where, where? And I'm trying to figure it out what's happening. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yurda. Hey, how's it going? It's going. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, not too bad Generally here. Generally speaking. Generally yeah. speaking, yeah. How's it going? How was uh, uh, Halloween? Halloween, we had a harvest fest here at the church, which I just kind of filled in the role of candy filler-upper. We had the trunk or treat. Mm-hmm. So Halloween for me was just basically running around to a bunch of different cars trying to fill up their candy buckets so that they could give the candy away. Then afterwards, we went and spent some time with you guys. So Yeah. Yeah, you did good at giving people the candy. Yeah, I gave candy so they can give candy. Yeah, you did really good at that. Our Halloween was good, too. We came to the trunk retreat, and then uh, we took the kids around the neighborhood, and that was a lot of fun. For me, like Halloween trick-or-treating thing is like efficiency. Move fast from one house to the next to get as much candy as possible. Because there's four people in our house, and now that the kids are old enough where they're going to eat just as much as we're going to eat, and we all kind of have the same favorites, it's like if we go to more places, we're going to get more. And Justine's usually on that mindset. But for Halloween, every year, it just seems like she just wants to like casually walk, stroll down the, the street. And I'm like, no, woman, let's go. Let's hurry. Efficiency, efficiency. I was going to say, you had Delilah with you, which either would have been you're walking very fast because Delilah walks fast or she's pregnant. So you're not walking very fast. It was both. <laughs> at, a, at, a, at the end point, she was like, I'm done. I'm done. Uber me home. And I was like, it's just like another two houses down. You don't need an Uber for two houses down. But <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She She does weird things sometimes. But it, it was a lot of fun. Going from that to, I, I want to do a few shout outs. I've noticed over the last few or last month that we've had some different listeners in different locations. So I don't know a few of them, but I know that we've had someone listening in Ontario, Canada, which has been super cool. We've got people listening in India right now. There are some in in Russia. And it's just it's just pretty cool to see like all globally where people are listening at. In America, it's been pretty cool to see people listening in like Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico. Actually, my friend from high school, her name's Ruth. She's listening in Colorado. Hi, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Louisiana picked up, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina. Someone's listening to the podcast a lot. And same thing with Missouri. And then there's like Wisconsin and Michigan. So it's, it's pretty cool to see your Technology. church friends going out there and a lot of people listening all over the country and all over the world which is great so if you're listening thank you so much for listening to us to ramble on about stuff sometimes and yeah. big thank you big thank you and also share it with somebody because that helps us and that helps them so as long as we're doing it with the sharing yeah, yeah. also doing the the whole stars you know i'm not going to tell you to do five stars because make your own decisions but do five stars leave a review on there all that stuff really does help because algorithms and whatnot so yeah as long as you're doing it i was gonna say go the full gambit share it like it star it comment whatever i'm gonna specifically request five stars because (laughs) my ego couldn't handle if it's anything less Uh, quick side story and then we'll get into the show I went to go send a, me speaking at the church from our YouTube page to, to a thing that I'm doing. So I, I went to um, the last message I spoke on, which was one of the Psalms, and I went to click on it, and I saw the reviews on, you, on the YouTube. You know how you, you see the thumbs up and the thumbs down and like comments, and I was like, oh, man, there's a lot of nice comments. That's good. And then I looked at the thumbs up, and there was like some thumbs up, but there was one thumbs down, and I was bothered. Nothing else about the positive comments or the the other thumbs ups made me feel good i was just like who gave me a thumbs down and why did you give me a thumbs down you know what you're doing is giving some mischievous listener to go and find right? everything that you everything do and I just do, leave just one thumbs, thumbs down. down i know because i would so do the same thing to somebody <laughs> <laughs> like you're gonna have one one star review on the podcast so there's one villain out there giving me a thumbs down <laughs> and speaking of villains let's get into this one because we've got a lot to cover in this time frame that we want to cover it I was going to ask with everybody listening globally, do we have anybody in Egypt? I haven't seen anything yet. Okay, because that's where we're going with this villain. Yeah, we're <laughs> yeah. going straight to Egypt. And we are looking at Pharaoh. So we are going back to Exodus, and we're going to look at the villain Pharaoh who had his encounters with Moses. If Again, we look at sometimes there's heroes versus villains, and so the hero would be Moses and the villain would be 
Farrell in this situation, and I'm sure many people have seen the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments movie that's out there, so kind of an understanding of what's going on, but we're going to look into it a little bit more. But this title of Pharaoh, it wasn't one single king, it was a title, right? Yeah, and that's where you said we're going back to Exodus. So we're second book of the Bible, right? You have Genesis and then Exodus. So if you're ever reading through the Bible and you make it through all, <laughs> all the way through Genesis, then you get to Exodus. But the transition there from the end of Genesis into Exodus, just how you said Pharaoh is like that title, because at the end of Genesis, you have Joseph, and he's become the right-hand man to Pharaoh. And things are actually working out good because he foresaw that the famine was going to come. So he was able to take care of all of his brothers and move them into the land. And really, there is uh, God's blessing on that, that there was a multiplication of the people. There's a providing for there. And you have, again, just Joseph as a right-hand man to Pharaoh, which, again, you're not in Israel. You're not doing that whole thing. But the situation there isn't bad. Now, what happens in Exodus 1 verse 8 says, Then a new king, speaking of Pharaoh, who did not know Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too numerous and too powerful for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase even more. And if a war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So even there, this says, then a new king. You'd think that it wouldn't just be that Pharaoh's son, because what, he just forgot everything that happened with that. So some time had passed from the end of Genesis, getting into this time to where, you know, multiplication, there's a few generations coming. But you see that this Pharaoh right off the bat is already looking at these Israelites saying they're not Egyptians and there are a lot of them. So if they decide to flip on us, this is going to be a bad situation. I, I looked at some of that, too. And even looking at like when we were looking at Nebuchadnezzar and that whole like king dynasty type thing, that there is a lot of um, there's a lot of sabotage or people gunning for your throne. So even so if much. You, you look at like the Pharaoh from genesis and you're like well why didn't they just treat them nice like joseph came and did a great thing for them it is because at some point someone could have taken over who just didn't genuinely like them and, and then this whole story does deal with a lot of issues that we see today in society where it's one culture or one demographic of people really not liking another one and and how god delivered them through that but it's it's a good interesting story and so we're in exodus now right and so the whole story kind of takes place. There's a Moses part of it that happens where God does all this stuff. Just go read it. I'm going to jump straight to where Moses has uh, already left Egypt. And if that sounds confusing, go back and read it. But Moses left Egypt and God called him back to Egypt to deliver the people through the burning bush. And so Moses and, and Aaron, Aaron, his brother, go to Pharaoh and they give one simple command to him or one simple thing. And it's saying that God said, let my people go. And this is just a running theme throughout the whole encounter from Exodus, I want to say, 5 to almost 14. Yeah. It's just a running theme of God is trying to free his people from this bondage of slavery and from this land that's keeping them captive. And again, it's such a beautiful story of what God's intentions were for all of us to begin with. Sin is what keeps us in bondage, is what keeps us captive, and God's intention of sending Jesus to come and free us from that. So you see this weave of Jesus in everything, really, if you do look at it in the Bible. But he goes to them, and he tells them this, and Pharaoh replies back in verse 2, I'm in chapter 5, and he says, this is a fascinating thing to me, but he says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let the Israelites go. And then from there, the interactions between them, and we'll get to them, all the plagues and everything, the inter interactions between Pharaoh and Moses are always so that you will know who God is. Because you started off with this, let my people go, the God commands this, and it's, who is this God? Which I think to set up, right, because villains were looking at Pharaoh, and just from the get-go, this is who Pharaoh was, just completely posed. And some background on that is because in Egyptian culture and life and everything going back, which when you look at Egyptian empires, those things lasted forever. Generally, when you look at history, like any empire that raises up lasts for like 250 years, you had these Egyptian empires just lasting for like millennia. It's nuts. Yeah. And when you just have all of that built up on it, but who Pharaoh was, because you brought up those the, the other gods, and we're going to look at the plagues coming in, but Pharaoh himself was considered to be basically God's representative. He was the son of God. He was God. So when he's standing there in unopposed basically he's in egypt he's in his land and he is the top of the pack like he is the one that goes with the most high god then 
Moses is coming up. I'm like, hey, God's telling you this. Like, who? Mm-hmm. He's like, no, 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 I'm God. So to really get that, it's not just like a human pride, but it even goes beyond into that spiritual thing of maybe even going back to the Garden of Eden, where it's like, oh, you'll become like God, just that yeah. that temptation and that thing there, that desire in us. Yeah, it's a good tie-in to what we covered with Doug on the Serpent episodes. So if you're listening, go back and check those out if you haven't already, because th- those are just fantastic about mm-hmm. that whole interaction with the serpent. And yeah, that common theme of like, becoming God. And And we saw that Nebuchadnezzar, Mm -hmm. you know, bow down before me and all this stuff. So you see these guys in power and with a lot of it, again, Western American Christianity, we lose a lot of the spiritual aspect. We're just like, oh, that's a prideful king. It's like, no, there is a spiritual thing to where they really were worshiping Pharaoh as God. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's an Egyptologist and all this, I was like, you're really bludgeoning that. (laughs) There's details in it, but just for the general thought of it. Yeah. Yeah. So they go to him, they, they make this request. He comes at them very bold, like, I don't even know who this God is, so it's not going to happen. And then this interesting thing happens where he then makes them, the Israelites were making bricks, and he makes them do it, or they're no longer provided the straw to help make the bricks, to help keep the bricks together and, and all that. They had to go out and get their own straw and then make the same number of bricks. Like, oh, you thought things were bad before. Yeah, yeah. He basically intensifies the treatment of, or the, what they're feeling and makes it worse. And that kind of turns the people on Moses and Aaron, like, hey, why did you do this? Why are you, why are you making stuff difficult for us? Which, if you think about it, that had to have been calculated. Like, Pharaoh's oh, yeah. no fool if he's just like, oh, these people are going to come against me. I'm going to turn their own people against them. Because guaranteed, if things are already hard, and they're like, oh, no, no, I'm going to go make it better. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's that much more difficult. Yeah, easy way of squashing a rebellion right there, right? Yeah, which is why, like, villain-wise... You look at that, and, and if you're not thinking about it in that angle of, like, that's calculated, that's genius. How do you attack someone if you're a villain? You take away their courage or their, like, gusto, I guess, for wanting to rebel or, or go against you, or you just squash their hope. And we saw that in Goliath, right? Goliath came every day, just squashed the hope of, of the Israelites or, or whatever they're feeling to make them more afraid. So here they are. They're all mad. So a very smart move or a counter to everything. Yeah, and I don't necessarily i know that we were talking about it before as far as well who was pharaoh and you said it was a title and when we get back into historically which pharaoh was the pharaoh of this time i don't necessarily want to dig into that other than everybody of them that i was looking at as candidates they were men of war like they knew what they were doing so mm-hmm. when it comes to this calculated it's they were men who were definitely trained in warfare which isn't just like oh i'm a warrior but you know on the strategic side of everything and then when you're at that level, you have all of your counsel and you have all of your everything and you're raised and you're educated. So Pharaoh's no fool Yeah. in all of this. So he's got the pride thing going on. He's got the spiritual I am Godhead thing going on. And then he's also just a really well-educated man. I like you brought that up too, because a lot of times when we look at the beginning part of Moses, where he was raised up in Pharaoh's courts and he was educated and taught there, you know, a lot of that gets put on that Moses was then a really smart guy, which he was. But it also makes us sometimes forget that Pharaoh himself was raised up in the same system and had the same education. So it wasn't like, you know, Moses being a smarter guy going over to, uh, to the king and trying to con him. But it was this was a strategic battle somewhat between two people with highly intelligent for their time. Yeah. And not just a battle between two people, because God, when mm-hmm. he talks with Moses, says, I'm going to go wage war against the gods. So you have Moses and Pharaoh coming up, but that's the representation of Yahweh and the gods of Egypt. So yeah, we have a battle. Yeah, a big battle going on. So the battle continues in uh, Exodus chapter 7, and we start getting into the plagues. But first, there's this kind of like like this battle of, like you're saying, the spiritual battle thing going on. And and Moses comes in with Aaron, and it's, it's the story of they throw the staff on the floor, and the staff becomes a snake. And then... Pharaoh's like, okay, that's somewhat impressive, but hey, my magicians could do the same thing. And so his people throw down their staffs and they become snakes. And, and it, Pharaoh and his gang go and do the same thing. But th- this is the first mention of Pharaoh's heart become hard. Like it became hard to what Moses was doing. And this is, again, one of those common threads that we start seeing. I've always read that part, and, and we're going to get into it more as we progress with the show. But my confusion with this, and I'm sure a lot of people have the same, is there are moments where it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then there are moments where it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart or that his heart became hard. So for me, it was always the struggle of why would God do this to somebody? Like, is he just 
setting him up for what's about to happen. Yeah, and different theologies go really hard <laughs> in, in taking those in different directions and, you know, God's sovereignty over being able to do with what he wants or do with his creation what he wants. Like, hey, you know what? I made you. If I'm to harden your heart, go for it. But then there's the other kind that goes, well, if you're going to harden my heart and I sin or if I do something, how am I at fault? So I don't know. I'm throwing out there that that concept can go really deep. I don't know how deep you want to go into it, but it's definitely something you see both of the, those things going on. And then even when you step beyond, I don't know if you saw this in your study, but when you step beyond just the phraseology of his heart was hardened, there's other stuff that there's other wording that goes into just that same concept of Pharaoh's heart and him being against God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, the a good way of phrasing it is that he was against God and it was like this hardening and hardening and, I kind of think of Romans where Paul says, you know, that because they were sinning and sinning and sinning and doing things that God just gave them up to their own flesh and their own desire. And that that's what, you know, somewhat could you could say what's happening here is that if you harden your heart enough, no matter what God does, you just kind of turned yourself off against it. Yeah, which is a scary spot to be. And in Romans, I'm talking about to a depraved mind and just, you know, in all of your thinking and whatever you think in your actions, everything that comes from that. But looking at with Pharaoh particular with his heart and heart and just the type of guy that he is. And that's why I brought up from the very beginning, he was kind of opposed to God because this isn't something that God didn't know was going to happen. And when I look at this whole situation with the Israelites in Egypt, having this come about is in Genesis 15, God told Abraham, hey, people are going to be in captivity in a foreign land for 400 years, and it's going to be a hard time for them. So God already foretold that this circumstance was going to happen. But then you have this thing happening when that 400 years or when that time comes and they're in the captivity that you have children of Israel crying out to God, which is kind of a necessity. If you're ignoring God and you just want to keep going in your own way, he's going to keep reaching out. But it takes the you turning to cry out and, you know, to seek him. So you have that happening at the same time that you have this particular Pharaoh who is the guy who has the hard heart that God uses the whole thing together. So, yeah, I, I can't begin to, I'm not going to begin to pretend to say that I understand how God's control over everything works. Yeah, I looked into some of that too. And one of the things I read, and it kind of stood out to me, touching on that subject, and then we'll start getting into some of these plagues that happen and the battle, was that God can steer evil to work towards his good purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we do get kind of caught up in the like, well, why is it? Why does bad have to happen? Why does God allow bad to happen? Bad happens because of the sin that's in this world. Like, it's just a sinful world. There's a lot of people who, like Pharaoh, who are like, who is God? No, I'm God. And stuff happens, but God can use all this to steer towards his purpose and what his will is to be done through all of it. So, I think that's something to keep in mind as we, you know, as people, it's just hard that when we're going through stuff, especially if it's not, like there are different types of trials, right? There's trials that come because they're testing our faith. They, God wants to see, are you the real deal? Is this sincere? There's trials that come because of my own stupidity, that I was just a moron and did something dumb. I have a lot of those. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> More than I like. Uh, then there are the trials that come because of other people. And I feel like those are the hardest ones sometimes for us to swallow because it's like, would that happen? Why would God allow that? Yeah, and touching on that, right, those ones from other people, and especially when you have something like this with Pharaoh to where it's that top-down kind of oppression thing going on and that person who's in control, who you're wanting God to be in control, so why is this person in control allowing all of this evil or forcing all this evil upon people? And I talked to you about this last week when, when looking and studying through this, but I think that one thing for us to keep in mind is that under Pharaoh, and you just brought up the fact that Pharaoh's like, oh, you want to come up against me? We're going to make this twice as hard and make everybody hate you and everything else, is that historically looking back at the exodus from Egypt, that's something throughout the entire Old Testament and throughout the entire Jewish history that God is always pointing back to, remember what I did right there. Yeah. And one of the biggest moves of God that happened in history that like God himself keeps pointing back to is what happens here. And for the people under that, they would be looking like, man, this Pharaoh is evil. They're like really oppressing and all of this stuff. So I think that for us to have faith in God here today, because I know a lot of people in different countries and in different regions of different countries are very upset with the leadership. 
and want to have all kinds of thoughts and views and everything, I'm just going to say God is in control. If God can work through Pharaoh and, like you said, taking the evil that was there and putting it towards good, and that this is one of the biggest moves of God, then I think that if we're in a situation where governments or powers or whatever are opposed to the church and God's people, expect God to move, but I think we got to have that crying out to him thing going on too. I'm glad you added that part in because that's what I was thinking too. And it's not like we planned this. I mean, we planned what we were going to cover, but not the like time frame. Like there was some adjustment in the schedule of when this episode was going to be released. But I know if we want to just look at where we're living at and what's going on in the country and across the world today, like a lot of people do feel oppressed by government and leadership and they're making all these rules and things that people are standing up against. So it's, I don't want to say it's a parallel because you know what, honestly, we have no idea what the Israelites are facing in Egypt, <laughs> yeah. bondage and slavery. Yeah, as Americans, do you, is it really that? Yeah. Get, get we a, don't want it to become that, but yeah. like, nah. <laughs> it's not the same, but there are parallels of understanding God that a lot of times, maybe instead of taking action the way we are taking action, and, and I say this throughout, I mean, I'm, I've said it since the beginning of the podcast, what, what, you probably know what I'm going to say. Yeah, we need to pray. We need to pray, cry out to God, and he can use these things, even though they seem to be bad or not great, he can stir them towards his purpose and towards his will. I think that's what I was getting at, is that we see them as like in the, in the world mm-hmm. view of things, like if we're not taking into account the spiritual realm. We just look at what's happening like, oh, no, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. I was like, no, 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 have faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter that it looks bad because there's so like that's the story of the Bible. It looks bad. Like yeah. think about <laughs> the apostles, right? Uh, Jesus was just crucified. I think that's the worst thing. Like this is the Messiah. This is one from mm-hmm. God. Oh, he got crucified. That's probably the worst bad that you can look at. Like the savior that's come for all of humanity. Like, no, nah, look what God had in mind. Yeah, so <laughs> it is a running theme. It's like, yeah. it's bad. And the one thing I got, because I read in my daily reading, the, and then we're going to get back to Moses and yeah. Pharaoh, I swear, we will. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, wait, who are we talking totally about? Totally yeah. tangent on everything. But I think it brings up a good, some good points and things. But when I was doing my, my reading through First Samuel, Second Samuel, First King, and Second King, you see there are probably, I think, and I, I numbered them, so I, I'm... Not confident in this number, but I'm pretty confident about maybe six to seven kings where it says they did right in God's eye. Everyone else was like they did evil in God's eye and they made the people worship all these images and idols and led them astray by doing all this other stuff. But this wasn't for like five years. Like the good kings seem to have reigned less, but the bad kings reigned for like almost a long time, like 40 years. And if you want to add it all up, it's like hundreds of years of living through kings who were leading people astray. And of course, there were people in Israel who were like, cool, we want to do what we want to do anyways. But there were those Israelites who were wanting to do God's will and lived and endured through that troubling time because they knew God was still there. And and for us, again, just looking at everything that's going on, like, let's be real. This is like year one and a half of stuff that's crazy and probably a year of things that are not to your liking. So we don't really fully understand what it's like to be in oppression for hundreds of years, but we have a template of what we can do in this situation. Cry out to God and pray and leave it to him and watch him work. All right, we, we need to get back to Pharaoh, <laughs> but in what you just said is that it's in the forgetting of God that things seem to get bad. When you brought up those kings or yeah, the kings and the judges and everything, it was always like, oh, and then like that generation passed away and they forgot. And it was the same thing that happened here with Pharaoh. It was just like, oh, yeah, there's a Pharaoh that came that had forgotten who God was. And that in our lives, it's like we need to break away from that cycle of, oh, things getting bad and being in oppressive and captivity and things being bad. So then we cry out and then like God comes and then like, oh, things are going good. And we forget like let's stop forgetting worship God in the good times. Yeah. And that's how you prevent things from getting to always keep them on the forefront of your mind. Always keep them on the words of your lips when we're talking with each other, when we're doing different things and recognize God for who God is at all times, you know, and independent of circumstance, I guess is what I want to say. Yeah. All right. I, I'm going to read this real quick. Then we're going to go to the break and then we'll come back and tackle 10 plagues and see how that works out for us. <laughs> yeah. But I thought this was pretty cool. And it kind of to the point of what we're talking about, it said, The author doesn't want us to focus on one single king. Rather, he wants us to see Pharaoh as an archetype of a pattern of human rebellion 
that began in the garden and accumulated in Babylon. The king or sequences of kings is the epitome of human evil. He, he embodies the strange and tragic turn the human heart can take when one person or society places their own values and well-being above one person or society. Pharaoh is what happens when an entire nation redefines good and evil apart from God's wisdom. You get an Egyptian building its wealth and security on the backs of an abused, oppressed, and enslaved Israel. As the story develops, Pharaoh even places his own reputation and pride above the well-being of his own people. Mm -hmm. So to tie everything we were saying back into Pharaoh, I think that was such a good uh, commentary on the whole situation. So we're going to look more into that when we come back from the break and try to tackle 10 plagues. Casey Curry here with some breaking news. We've been tracking events taking place in Egypt between Pharaoh and the Israelites, and it seems as if there's been a wild turn of events. Our own meteorologist Remy's out there now. Remy, can you tell us exactly what is happening? Casey, we have been experiencing things like water turning into blood, the local area filled with gnats, flies, and frogs, the sky releasing hail the size of softballs, with a little to no warning, things have been reared out here as far as the weather and nature lately. We have also been tracking a cloud that seemed to be moving small amounts of distance by day, but as night would come, it seemed to disappear. Wait, it seems that there is now what looks like a pillar forming in the sky of, of, is that fire? That's fire! We've got to get out of here! Remy, get you and your team to safety as we check in with Reed for a closer look at things. Reed, can you make out what's going on? It seems like the Israelites are trapped between the Red Sea and the army of Pharaoh. I can barely hear what Moses just said, but it did sound like the Lord will fight for you. Moses is raising his arms, and the sea just split in two. The Israelites are crossing the sea on dry ground. i never seen anything like this. Reed, could you say that again? I said the Israelites are crossing the sea on foot. But Pharaoh's army is following them. Although it might be a risky move on their part, as it looks like, though the sea is returning to its normal state. I can't be sure, though. Sorry to interrupt you, Reed. But from the other side, we can see that the Red Sea is closing again, and Pharaoh's army, along with Pharaoh, are being swallowed by the sea. It doesn't sound so good for the Empire of Egypt or any of the other Egyptians. For now, let's send it back to our dad's podcast to see what other developments occur. All right, welcome back to the award-winning podcast, Your Church Friends, second half of Pharaoh. You're not wrong, but I feel like by saying it, you're trying to make it happen, <laughs> even though it already happened. I mean, it did happen. We won one award. It was cool. All right, Pharaoh, let's run through some of this stuff because we got a lot to cover in a little bit of time. So the first plague. So the, the whole snake thing happens, it's mimicked, Moses walks away, he comes back, and here it is, it's the plague, it's the plague of blood. So basically, Moses changed the whole Nile River into, turned it into blood. Yeah, which is a big deal, because the Nile River, when you look at Egypt or any ancient civilization, running alongside the river, that's where life comes from. You need water to survive. And the Nile River, huge river, and just everything was built coming off of that, and the Euphrates and some different ones, but Nile was the main one going on. I'm trying to think of how to set this up. But specifically with the Nile, you had a Egyptian god. I think his name is Hapi, H-A-P-I. I think he was the hippopotamus guy. Mm, um, again, makes sense. Egyptologists could, you know, correct me on that one. Yeah, if we have an Egyptologist listening to the show. Or just somebody who's good at Google. Um, <laughs> but at looking at each one of these plagues, right, there's a different god that's specifically linked up to each one, that, each one of these plagues. So basically, God is coming in and smacking down the Egyptian gods, right? So he's coming in and laying the smack down. And when you look at taking over the Nile and turning it to blood, he's showing that he has control over the Nile. He has control over the fertility and everything else and the life that comes from things. And basically saying, yeah, your God, Hopi, he can't stand against me. And so you have that in each of these individual plagues that's happening. But each of them is also an attack against Pharaoh. Coming to that idea of God hardening Pharaoh's heart and how that's taking place. When you look at Pharaoh, he's supposed to be the one that keeps chaos at bay, that keeps order happening, right? So that was kind of Pharaoh's job over Egypt was I'm going to keep things running smoothly. And that's why I'm in leadership because I can push away the chaos. I can keep things under control and I can keep things moving in a good way. So not only is it an attack against Hopi or each of the other gods, which I think we can just 
throw into the show notes so that people, if you want to research into it, but each one of these is also an attack against Pharaoh because his people are looking at him going, hey, what's up? Mm. Like, why are you allowing this to happen? So it's a shot at Pharaoh as well as taking down. Uh, there's some interesting things, too, as we look through some of the plagues. And this one really particular just kind of blew my mind was, so they turn the Nile into blood. So that's life source. That's all water just turned into blood. And then it's funny because the Bible says, then Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. And I get maybe they're like, it's not that special. We could do the same thing too. But why was my question? Like, why turn water into blood if you know that's not a good thing for you? But that kind of follows in a few of these plagues that uh, Moses and Aaron would come and, and it would happen. And then their, their magicians would follow up and do the same thing. Which really, when we're looking back at some of this ancient stuff, I know it can screw with our modern sensibilities about magicians and sorcerers doing things. The Bible seems to be pretty open to different forms of magic actually being real, and that's why we're told not to get involved in those things. But kind of why is to show like, oh yeah, you think that your God is so big and powerful, we can do that too. Like, okay, yeah, you took over the Nile and we're not appreciating that, but you know, it's kind of like, you're not so special. My guys can do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it was my thoughts also like, but why would you make your guys do it? You know, it's already you already have a mess going on in, in your. Uh, oh, just to show just that, to, oh, your God isn't really doing that big, magical, powerful thing. Like, look, my guys can do that. It's like the it's the prideful thing. Yeah. Where, like, I'm just going to be prideful, even though I know I'm wrong and it's going to make things worse type situation. Yeah, probably something like that. Probably something like that. Uh, so the next plague then is, is the plague of frogs. So there are just frogs everywhere. Just tons of frogs. And, and then the Egyptian magicians do the same thing. But this time, Pharaoh calls Moses to pray to God to take away the frogs, and then he'll let the people go. So in this situation where it's plague two, you got frogs all over the place, which I got to imagine has to be not fun. And Pharaoh's like, okay, pray to God and have this all taken away. But after all the relief came, and the Bible says it, it says after the relief came, Pharaoh changed his mind and kind of hardened his heart again. So then the next one after that is then Moses comes back and says, let my people go, and I'm doing this so that you will know who the Lord is. And it's the plague of gnats, and gnats are everywhere. But in this instant, the magicians couldn't replicate it, and they said something specifically to him that this is the finger of God. And like you were saying, that attack at their gods, the attack at Pharaoh being God, and now his magicians not being able to do it and say, no, this is God is kind of a an, an interesting thing to me, but I played baseball growing up, and during the summertime, like out on the field, there are gnats. Oh, those huge clouds everywhere! Yeah, the huge clouds, and you know when you play the outfield, you're like the gnats are flying by, and honestly, nothing ever gets hit to you, like ever. And so you're just spending like a majority of the game in the field doing this, like waving your glove, trying to swat all the gnats. The worst part about it, though, is if you get a hit. And that cloud of gnats just starts flying by while you're running the bases. And it's just like gnats in your eyes, in your teeth, in your mouth. Uh, I've, I'm pretty sure I've eaten more gnats than I've ever thought I wanted to in my life. But that small glimpse of that, to think of like just the, the intensity of gnats everywhere flying around, uh, that had to be unpleasant. Yeah, flying around and on top of people, it says on top of the men and livestock and everything. And what you have there with the... um inability of the priests and the magicians to to do these things just like when you see in the book of leviticus in the bible that israelite priests had like a full-on code they had to follow <laughs> you know what kind of clothing you could wear and all of the everything you need to keep yourself pure and purification ceremonies and stuff it was the same for other religious stuff so the the religion and the cults in egypt their priests followed the same and when you have all of these gnats on top of you and then later when we get to the boils they are kind of ceremonially unclean to be able to take place in the religious aspects and the ceremonies that they do. So it's kind of even knocking down the priesthood of the um, Egyptian religion. So you can see that they were doing it, but then for however that whole system works, God took them out of commission because they yeah. were no longer clean. That's a really good point. I like that. So the next plague, if we want to get into that, is then very similar, the plague of flies. And these are houses filled with flies just everywhere. For a few years... It would happen every time around the same year. And I don't know if there's like they laid eggs or something, but we would go outside and there were just flies everywhere, like all over the side of the house in the backyard. They were coming into the house. We didn't know how. 
and this was happening and I, I spent they weren't really moving so i don't know if they're like what was going on but they were the big like horse flies mm -hmm. and they were all over the house and it was just crazy it was such an inconvenience and it definitely felt like you know when when stuff like that happens growing up and you know your bible you're like okay what did i do wrong because now i'm getting hit with a plague of flies it just wasn't a pleasant experience and again i could relate to the last two because i've kind of lived that but this plague what i really started to notice and what you really start to see because with the bible if you read it intently you could catch sure a few things mm -hmm. and the one thing i liked here was that god made a distinction between yep. the israelites and the egyptians yeah so it's uh chapter 8 verse 22 saying, but on that day, I will give special treatment to the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be found there. In this way, you will know that I, the Lord, am in the land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will take place tomorrow. So in that, you have God showing up for his people, but you also have this, again, this bigger battle that's going on. And in Psalm, I believe it's 105. Yeah, Psalm 105. You have God saying that he was hardening the hearts of the Egyptian people against his people. So there's just this hardening going on and this opposition and this hate that's going on between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And you can see that, man, if you're getting all these swarms and all this everything and these people who like were your slaves, oh, it's not happening to them. You, you start hating those people they become unpleasant to you because they're like, why isn't it happening to them? Yeah, you ever been in a hard spot and somebody's getting blessed? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, all of a sudden you turn into this wicked person because you're like, I normally would want good things to happen for other people. But right now, that's just making me mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's this one also has a few other things in it that this is where uh, the flies are filling up Pharaoh's house. Like the palace is filled with flies. And so he tells Moses to uh, have the people sacrifice here. And Moses says, no, that's not what God wants. So he's now, okay, submitting to something. And he's saying, have the people sacrifice here. Moses tells him, no, that's not what God wants. For, want, wants. That's, what God, that's not what God's saying. So Pharaoh says, okay, you could go. And again, here's this yo-yo game that starts happening. And he says, you could go, but now pray for me. And then he changes his mind again. So it's, it's again, this yo-yo thing happens. Then there's the plague of livestock that hits where all of the Egyptian livestock died. I'm going to start running through some of these a little quicker so we can get into some other stuff. But then there's the boils, the plague of boils. You talked about it. It was festering boils all over all the animals and, and people in the land. And this is where we get the first statement of the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So we've got these two plagues back to back and there's conversations about things. And after the boils, which, I mean, boils got to suck, right? Like if they're all over your body. And then... It's the plague of hell. It's the hellstorm plague. And, and this one has two interesting verses in it. I'm going to read it. Verse 16. This is Moses talking to Pharaoh about what God said. And he said, But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And then the other verses that I found interesting were then 19 through 21. Moses tells him, he's still talking to Pharaoh. He tells him this. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still outside in the field and they will die. The officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring in their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who had ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and their livestock in the field. But to me, I found this, these verses interesting because this is a, the hailstorm is coming and I'm assuming these things are like the size of softballs or something. And yeah, if it's gonna, if there's livestock, you just picture some hail coming down and killing an ox. That's that's some hail. Yeah, that's not the little stuff that we experience here in Bellflower, Southern California. Yeah, hail. Southern California hail, <laughs> like ice yeah. coming from the sky, <laughs> where you could go out there and play with it. Like, no, this isn't that. This is some big stuff coming at them. But what I really captured from these two verses here was there's still this, although God is kind of attacking, there's compassion because Moses is warning them, like go do this. I don't really want this bad to happen to you. Protect yourselves. And those who feared the word of the Lord, they went out and did it, but those who ignored it didn't. So it's almost like this, I guess it's still seeing God's compassion in it, in the situation. Right. And I think that having grace and mercy is just part of who God is. So even in this situation, he can't not be who he is. But coming back to Pharaoh, because I know we're going through all of these plagues and God is acting, God is acting, which 
Again, each one of these correlates to a different Egyptian god. So check the show notes if you want to get into that, because it's actually a really interesting study. It'll bring your Bible a lot more to life and seeing what, what's going on there. But during all of this and how you said that Pharaoh hardened his heart and God had hardened his heart and what's going on there, I just think of my niece. Love her to death, but she's super stubborn. And when all of us were over at my parents' house and we were trying to get everybody to sit up at the countertop and eat the food and do the different things, and she didn't want to go sit up on this chair so that she could eat. So I came in knowing that she's stubborn. I said, oh, no, no, no. Charlotte, Charlotte can't sit here. Like, we can't let Charlotte sit here. I think what we need to do is get out. What do you call the little baby chair? The high chair? Mm-hmm. Like, we need to get that for her so she can sit that. Like, definitely, Charlotte, she probably can't even climb up on this chair. There's no way she could climb up here and do this. And, of course, being told that she can't and that she possibly wouldn't be allowed to, especially when she was just being asked to. Now she's like, oh, am I losing my opportunity? Whatever it is. Next thing you know, she climbs up on the chair. And then I'm doing the same thing with the food. Like, oh, you can't give her that much food. That's like big people food. She can't eat all of that. We need to get, where's the, you know, and just being able to play against her stubbornness. It's, was I hardening her heart? You know what I mean? Because she went from just like, oh, whatever, whatever, to like, now I'm playing against who I know she she is. Mm. And when I see that God doing these things and God hardening Pharaoh's heart is just, Pharaoh is who he is and God knows who he is. And when God is coming in like, hey, I'm laying the smack down on these gods and I'm coming and I'm opposing your rulership here and I'm opposing your authority. That's gonna harden his heart and turn him against. You know, even when you see it in all these situations to where God's like, all right, I'll relent and I'll give you the opportunity. It just Pharaoh doubles down. And I think the making him the villain is that he can't step down or step away from what his role and his power and his everything to go like, dang, this is really crazy. I've never experienced anything like this. All of these gods that we've prayed to and all of my priests are now out of commission, all this stuff, like maybe I should just kind of submit and go with this. Maybe there's mercy for me. Uh, you just brought up that mm-hmm. there's mercy, but you just don't get that. No, he, he consistently just kind of, like you said, doubles down. And, and even when we get into like the next plague of, of the locusts and locusts coming around and eating everything where I think the Bible says that there was no more green left in Egypt. Like they just destroyed all plants, grass, whatever. That it, there was nothing green when he's at the place where he knows this is wrong and it's it's starting to do some damage to the economy of Egypt to the people of Egypt instead of just submitting like you were saying he just kind of like starts negotiating okay and you can find that on verses 7 through 11 in chapter 10 but he starts like okay well you could go but I'm only going to allow this to happen and Moses is again like no this isn't what God wants from us okay but you could do this this and this no this isn't God doesn't want from this. And then in, in this one and the other one, there's an interesting thing where Pharaoh says, I have sinned. And he says that to Moses, I have sinned. But again, I don't know if this is a, and it's hard to tell because you're not in a situation, but it's, if it's the situation where you, your kids are crying because they got in trouble and they're only crying because they got in trouble, not because they learned a lesson. Right. You know, and, and looking at this two times where he's like, I've sinned, I've sinned. Is this just because... Things are bad, and he just wants the bad to go away? Or is this the, the heart softening? And I've got to go towards, because of everything we're reading, where his heart keeps getting hard, it, it's just more, it, eventually it gets to the point where it's just, there's no, nothing that's going to change who he is, that this has to be a situation where he is just, I'm sorry because I got caught kind of situation. Yeah, and that, like you said, it's hard to know without being in it because we're just, it's conjecture, right? We're kind of reading into it because, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it, it could have just been like, oh, man, this is really bad. I'm going to actually try to repent, and then temptation comes back up, or it could just be, like you said, being in trouble. It's it's hard to know, but it's definitely, this. even if it was sincere, it's not sincere for long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it changes very quickly. Yeah. So there's two more plagues. Both of them are kind of, I would say, probably the worst of the of them although it's i guess it's debatable on what's worse wait real quick before you do that just when we're talking about all these plagues and i mean they're miraculous they're plagues god is doing something here i know that in studying there's a lot of people and looking at anything miraculous in the bible always wanting to come up with like a natural way that it could have happened and then like, oh you're just attributing natural things to mm-hmm. god and whatever and but the bible is pretty particular in just like natural things that happen versus god causing something to happen and even with all of these locusts coming in, that part where you're saying there's no more green, it says basically the land was black and they consumed everything. But then after Pharaoh had said, oh, 
I've sinned, forgive me. It says, then the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind that carried off the locusts and blew them into the Red Sea. So just the Bible point out, there's like, no, a wind mm. came, but it was God causing the wind to come and blow them all over and to do that. I don't know. I just think that the Bible is very particular to call out God's actions as something that wouldn't have happened just by nature. And I, I, that's a great point, too, because I think that God can use natural things like he used the wind yeah. to blow them away. But it was God causing the wind to change to do that. That a lot of times some of the stuff, and again, we're, I'm going to speculate with this, but like things were happening and they could have been happening just because, oh, that was in nature. Mm-hmm. That's just nature. And that's what nature does. And God is obviously not over nature. And this is a situation where God's showing even Pharaoh that I'm God of all. Mm-hmm. Like I'm God of everything. You think you're God of this, this, and this? I'm God of all of it. And I can use nature to blow things away to bring things in like which psalm is it where it talks about how nature and what it does is worshiping god like just doing what it does it's that's how it worships god and and so in the same situation you can see that as like nature and animals get this different kind of thing from god because god commands and they just do as where people god commands and they're like let me think about it you know or maybe not or at my time and i'll do it my way but the nature of the world just God says blow and the wind was like cool we did it yeah. no no trouble here from us yeah it is really interesting so we get darkness for three days three days of pure darkness and that has to be tough because if it's pitch black as they kind of described it like not being able to see that would mess with the mind and the psyche for me at least thinking about it like you always feel something's around you but yet nothing's around you when when uh, we traveled across the country we got to North Carolina, where Justine's aunt lives, and we, we just got there, so it was already late, and we came in, we had dinner, but we had left some things in the car, so I went outside to go get some, some of the luggage that we had left in the car for the few days we were going to stay there, and me thinking of Southern California city life, I'm going to go outside, there's street lights, and I'm going to be able to see perfectly. I took one step outside, and it was pitch black. And they live on acres with like a lake or little river running behind them. So it's it's nature. Like at this point, I don't even know what's out there anymore. Like as soon as it goes out, you just see like all these blinking things. You're like, what am I surrounded by? But I walked out there and it was pitch black. I couldn't see a thing. And it was scary. I didn't know what was out there. I wanted to move in and out quickly and and get back inside the house. The same thing happened to us when we went to uh, on our way back to Flagstaff. This one got me because we had seen a deer on the side of the road as we were driving in. And so we get there and it's super late again. We, we use our phone flashlights to get to the door. We get inside, going out to get some uh, luggage. And as we're doing it, Justine's like holding the flashlight so I could see because it's, it's dark. And I'm trying to grab everything at one time to take it in. And she's like, I see eyes. I see eyes. And she starts panicking. And I'm like, I have no idea because I don't know where the, they're at. And I'm like, where, where? And I'm trying to figure it out what's happening. Because I don't know what's coming at us. You know, we're in the mountains. It could be a lion. It could be a bobcat. I have no idea. It could be anything. I grab the light. I eventually flash it on it. It's their cat. It's the neighbor's cat. With all that being said, when in darkness, it does mess with your brain and it creates this element of creepiness. It does, especially because you knew I can pull out a flashlight or I want to get back inside. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how long is this going to last. Just all of a sudden it is pitch black. And I've had a similar, like I remember when I went to Ethiopia there was this pathway that we took that like the king of Ethiopia would take that basically you go down underground and then it was an underground tunnel that would come up into the church and it would like simulate the death of the king to himself and then the resurrection, Mm -hmm. you know, and just kind of going through that. But when I went down into the tunnel and you go down underground and there's zero light, there's no light source anywhere. And it's just like, it's so thick. And I'm going down in the tunnel. I was like, who convinced me to go down here? I don't know where I'm going. What if I make a wrong turn? Because there was nobody. Like, at first I had my flashlight out. And the only guide was just like, turn that off. That's not what we do here. And then everyone went quiet. And you're just by yourself in the dark. And I just picture these people. It's in the dark. But after all of this other stuff has happened. You know how mm. frightening that is? It's not just in the dark. Like, oh, maybe a, a mountain lion's coming at me. It's we've just had all of our gods, right? I feel I don't feel safe anymore. All the gods that I would pray to, I can't pray to them anymore. And then, because this one, right, you've got darkness. So over the light, you've got the sun god, Ra or Ray, And just like, that's kind of one of the big ones. And now all of a sudden it's dark. So you are you feel totally insecure from all the stuff that you get security from. 
maybe you just had all of those boils and then you just had all your crops eaten, you had all of everything and where are you going to go for water and for food and whatever? And it's pitch black. Like, it's so frightening. Mm-hmm. But even there, it said, but the Israelites will have light in their homes. So God is still looking out for his people. The plagues weren't coming upon his people. That's the amazing part of the story that I found as I've gotten older is the distinction God made. Which, again, is all under his control. If yeah. It's just a natural thing. Like, it would have come and hit all of them. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it, that, like, we can live in a place where it just seems like chaos and out of control and we don't know what's going on and God can make a distinction between us and everything that's happening. The church. <laughs> it's supposed to be the church. It's supposed to be the church. The church is supposed to be the light behind <laughs> everything, yes. Uh, but last plague. Oh, well, before we get into the last plague. So Moses, uh, Pharaoh tells him to leave and take the women and children, but just leave their flock behind. And in the last one, he did the same thing, this negotiation. And I, I found it interesting that uh, looking at him as a villain and an enemy, sometimes the enemy tries to get us to negotiate God's standards. And you can see that here. It's God's standards were clear with Moses, but sometimes God or the enemy tries to get us to to negotiate what God's standards are. Same thing that happened with, with Adam and Eve. You know, there was God's standards, but then there was this negotiation, a questioning of like, what's this and what's that? And I'm sure Moses could have said, cool, we'll take the women and children. We'll leave all our flock. And, but we're, I've done what God wanted us to do. But that wasn't what God wanted Moses to do. And it's, it's great to see Moses take that hard stand and say, no, we're going to do this God's way, the way God designed it. And even if it's going to prolong us from getting out of here, I still want to do it God's way. Yeah, at this point, I'm also going to just default to... Yeah, we're doing this God's way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously not in control of any of this. If God is telling me this is what it's got to be, I'm going to go with this is what it's got to be. I'm not going to cut any corners. I've, I've seen what can happen. <laughs> yeah. And I think if we look at it for our own personal life, like when we've cut corners, like that doesn't go good for us. And just kind of, all right, God, you're in control. I'm just going to lean into what's happening. So the last plague then is the plague of the firstborn. And this is where all firstborn males, they die. Pharaoh's son dies in this, and there was a, again, there was the blood that had to be killed, and they had to put it on the doorframe, right? And that's how you would, the angel of death would pass by. I think that's what it says, right? The angel of death. So this is the Passover meal, the first Passover meal, and you have, you know, go, you you take the animal, you slaughter it, and you take the blood, you put it over the doorposts, and that's the sign, you know, for everybody who's being obedient to this, that the angel of death will pass by. But then they're also supposed to take that animal and eat it and consume the whole thing. And that was going to gonna give sustenance for the journey that was ahead. It was like, hey, get ready. Here's time to go. And signifying that this is such a major point in human history. I keep wanting to say Jewish history, but like this is human history, you know, and mm-hmm. what God is doing here on the earth is that this Passover meal was something that says, all right, every single year from now on, you have to remember this moment. So this is a big deal. So Pharaoh's son dies. Um, he calls Moses and he tells the people, uh, and he tells the people to go, but then he says, bless me as he, as he tells Moses to leave. And then the interesting thing here is that the Israelites basically plundered the Egyptians. Like they, they went to the neighbors to say, Hey, give us some stuff on our journey. And they gave them just tons of stuff. And the Bible says that they plundered them. And, And usually when you read stories of plunder, like taking things from other people, it's after a battle. Yep. It's after a battle has been won, you take from that, the best of that nation that you defeated. Right. So again, pay attention to what's being said here. God says that it's a battle. It's very much a battle all the way through. And now here's the, the victory of it, right? Right. Like, all right we're, we're taking and we're plundering and we're, we're leaving with it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the cool part of me. Again, and I like what you said. Look at what the Bible is really intently saying because this was a battle, but there were no soldiers. There was no human loss as far as, you know, until the last plague. But there was nothing where it was a group of nations combating each other. It was all spiritual. It was all in that realm that sometimes we negate or forget. Again, I think that as the church, we have some scripture about that we don't wage war the way that the world wages Mm -hmm. war. And yeah, you know, there might be something like that. Yep. So then Pharaoh gets mad. He gathers his army and he chases the Israelites. And we're going to wrap this up here and then we could talk about other stuff if, if you got anything. He gathers his army. He, uh chases after them. The Israelites are now kind of caught in this place where Pharaoh and his army are behind them and the Red Sea is in front of them and they're panicking. And I think there's even some terms of like, why did you bring us out here to die in the desert that they tell Moses? And then there's this amazing verse 
that Moses tells them, and I'm going to quote it, uh, not specifically. Oh, okay, I found it, so I'll do it. Verse 14 of chapter 14, he says, The Lord will fight for you. All you need is to be still. And a lot of people interpret this as be quiet and watch God. And God then splits the Red Sea in half. And there's water, a wall of water on one side, a wall of water on the other side. And the Israelites start marching through it. And then Pharaoh and his gang, they're just like, okay, they're walking through it. We're going to follow them. And as soon as the last Israelite's foot stepped outside of it, the walls of water came crashing down and it consumed and took over or killed basically Pharaoh and all of his army. And that's, that's the end of Pharaoh's life and his story within the Bible, this villain. Right. So in that with, you know, the water just coming crashing down on them in verse 23 of chapter 14 it says, and the Egyptians chased after them, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen and followed them into the sea, which is what you're saying. Then I think that this is interesting. At the morning watch, however, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their camp into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to wobble so that they had difficulty driving. Let us flee from the Israelites, said the Egyptians, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. So again, like you were saying, this battle, it's the Lord fighting for them. But even I've tried looking into it before, and I'm not smart enough to figure it out or to really land in the spot to be like, yeah, let me talk knowledgeably for it. But when you look at all of these people going and crossing across the sea, like that's a lot of people, and it takes a long time to get a lot of people across something. So logistically, all of the stuff, and well, you're getting chased by chariots, and these people are just old and young and everything else with all of the cattle and all of the everything making their way across. But between God's involved in it, and even when he's saying that it's hard for them to, you know, drive their chariots and different things, and there's confusion, and there's everything going on, and some people saying, hey, we got to flee from them. Like, it wasn't just a full-on, hey, everybody full steam ahead. I'm bringing that in because some people are like, there's no way that it could be possible. It's like, it's possible. I think the, the try to knock it, because if it's not possible, then God didn't do it, right? But it's definitely possible. And Pharaoh's life to me, when I look at this, and and you see the 10 plagues and everything that hits. It's basically, it's a cautionary warning. Uh, don't be like Pharaoh and, and quit hardening your heart. And you can see this, the 10 plagues of Pharaoh. So plague one, Pharaoh's heart became hard. Plague two, the frogs. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Plague three, the gnats. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Plague four, the flies. Pharaoh's hardened his own heart. Plague five, the livestock. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Unyielding is another term used there. Uh, the boils, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Ver the seventh one of hell, Pharaoh's hardened his own heart. The locust, God announced that he has hardened Pharaoh's heart. The darkness, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then the death of the firstborn, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And this, this consistency of things that's just happening. God's just really, like you were saying, it's like this submission thing. And in that quote I read before we went to the break about like, he just, he didn't even care about his own people at this point. It was all this just, I am not going to submit. I'm not going to give way. Going back to his first original statement that, and I, I'm not sure, I'll have to go back and look at it. But if this is the first thing Pharaoh says in the Bible, it's who is God? I don't even know him. And God was just saying, this is me. This is me. This is me. And you as a villain think that you could keep my people here but I'm going to get them out of here. And I'm going to do it in such a dramatic way that it's going to be a battle that they don't even fight. And what is the last thing that you read from the Egyptians? The Lord is fighting for them. And they went out victorious. They plundered and they did great things. Now, I would love to, to finish this story off by saying that the Israelites went on and became a great nation of God's people and that they consistently followed God's ways. But they wandered around in the wilderness. But that didn't happen. But... This story right here, like you were saying throughout the whole podcast, this, this story of the Exodus crossing the Red Sea, it, it was supposed to be this big moment of remembering. And it's throughout the whole Bible that when they forget about it, they go doing their own thing. And that it's even brought back that when uh, Josiah became king and he read the, the, the law and everything, and then this was the Passover was celebrated again and it hadn't been done in, in forever, that this is the story of God's redemptive plan of taking us out of where we were in bondage. And again, kind of that God can stir evil towards his good purpose. And who's to say what would have happened if Pharaoh just submitted at any one given point? But he didn't. And 
you could just tell, like you said, that this this is a villain who just didn't want anything to do with God and consistently fought against God until it basically cost him. And it cost him, and I don't want to take away from the fact that Pharaoh was a real human and all of this happened to him and kind of because of him. Again, God knew who he was and just the timing of everything. But looking at the timing of everything, you have, and how I mentioned in Genesis 15, that God foretold all of this. And so much of what God foretold to Abraham was, hey, I'm going to bless you. The whole world is going to be blessed through you. I'm going to give this promised land. There's going to be one who comes through you that'll be the Messiah, basically. And all of these promises come to Abraham. And what you have is you start with that promise, and then they ended up in captivity. And then coming from that captivity, then they were supposed to go from captivity and go into the promised land. So we see all of this as a fulfillment of what God is doing throughout history. And this is all generations, right? Abraham is long gone and dead by this point of them looking to get into the promised land. But even what God uses here in defeating Egypt, when they start to go into the promised land, say when they talk to Rahab at Jericho and different things, they go, yeah, everybody here is freaked out because they hear what your God did to Egypt. Mm. So there's this, the news of who God is went forth from this place, that God was glorified here. And that even going into these different giant clans and the pagan nations and the different stuff is that God's name was beginning glorified there and people knew who he was. Just like you were saying, hey, who's God? I don't know who he is. People are beginning to know, oh, this is who God is. And the Israelites were really supposed to encapsulate, you know who God is and we're supposed to be his people. And we see that Pharaoh as a person was opposed to God, was opposed to his people. When it came to hearing a word from God, ended up doubling down on just punishing God's people. And just like with all of these villains, what we've seen is there is the spiritual villain behind it all. And when we look at the one who wants to come and just steal, kill, and destroy, just come against people, put them down, oppress them, just make life hard, keep them in the land of captivity, like it is Satan, it is the devil. And I know that we're going to have a couple other episodes coming up on him, but we just see that all of these people, whether Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar or whoever, being the agent for our adversary to come in and just being completely being played like pawns. Now, God is still in control and we see that, but just in our own lives in the New Testament, it talks about like being into captivity, being in a life of sin as being like in Egypt. And God wants to free us from that. And man, I really link up my flesh being like Pharaoh. My flesh is that hard taskmaster that just wants to keep me under control and that, you know, please itself and do all of the things and everything that God would want to do in my life is just like, not nah, flesh wants to squash that. I really see a parallel there that if like coming up out of Egypt and out of the captivity from that is the same as like coming up out of a life of sin, then my flesh is like Pharaoh. And just like we saw Pharaoh got dunked in the water and got killed that way, that's supposed to be a, a view of baptism. Is that when we go down in baptism, that flesh dies, that old self mm. dies, and we're resurrected to a new life. So that new life is like going into the promised land kind of thing. I know I'm riffing off a bunch of different things, but Egypt and just captivity and coming out, that's a huge thing. So if you look at, I don't know what it's like. We were talking about our political scheme, not knowing what it's like to be underneath a pharaoh. I think us as individuals know what it's like to be underneath a pharaoh because the flesh is just always opposed to God and is stubborn and will double down. And I think that our flesh, my flesh at least, will give me that like, hey, um, let's compromise like you were saying. Okay, you can do that, but just a little bit. Or as long as you can keep doing this a little bit, you don't need to fully be obedient and everything. And no, I think that you hit the nail on the head. We just need to stand for what God says the thing needs to be and what God's standard is and to, to walk by that and trusting that it's a battle that God's fighting. Yeah, because if we look at villains, there, like we said, a lot of times there's heroes. Mm -hmm. And the hero was Moses that played out the, I'm going to stick to God's standards and I'm going to follow God's word and I'm going to be obedient to it completely, even when it doesn't make sense. And then I go back and I think about our conversation with Chris Brown about Samson. And Samson, it's almost kind of like this opposite of a villain that we were looking at so far. It's this not necessarily that he was an agent of anything, you know, that the devil didn't really work through him. He was just, he was God's judge who just couldn't submit to doing things God's way. Mm -hmm. And eventually he gets put in the, you know, they, they rip out his eyes and they, they take him prisoner, the Philistines, they put him to in the grinder to grind things up. And I didn't say this on the podcast because Chris had so many other amazing things to say, but I, I told you this afterwards. It is a point that I've always looked at for Samson's life that, 
I look at and apply to mine, that when sin completely captures us, mm-hmm. when it s- completely engulfs our life, that it does three things. It blinds us, so we can no longer see the light. All we're doing is living in darkness. And that was Samson, right? They ripped out his eyes. It binds us, so they put him in shackles, and that's what sin does. And, and we think that doing things my way gives me complete freedom, but it, it really shackles us from having the life that God intended for us to be full and blessed in his way. And then it grinds us down, and he was in the grinder just grinding, and it grinds us down until it's nothing, and, and we're nothing. And you could see it in people's lives where you know someone who's out doing things their way, they may not be grinded down to like, you know, like some people who get into a hard drug habit and you could clearly see the effects of that in their life, right? Their physical appearance changes, their behavior, their psyche, it all gets messed up. But there's also people that you can see that it's grinded them down internally to where the eyes just look cold, the eyes just look sad, and, and they have no way out of this. The beauty of what the story of Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the Israelites is to me is that God can free us from all of those things. There's blind men in the New Testament that Jesus gives sight to. There are people who are shackled. shackled. Yeah, legion, and, right? Yeah, and filled with demons, freed from it and in the right mind. There are people whose lives are just grinded down, and he gives them new hope and new freedom. And he offers that to all of us. And when you look at the Bible with the intention of what's the main theme, it's Jesus, you start seeing God's plan in everything. And it was always about his son coming. That's why when we got into the Sermon on the Mount, it was fulfilling the law, right? Jesus said, said, I didn't come to abolish what was already done. I came here to fulfill it. Look at all those stories. Look at what we've looked at with David and Goliath and, and a few other people that Jesus came and said, I am all those stories accumulated in my death and resurrection is what's going to free you from that. That's all I got. I was just going to say, I know that we went a lot through the story, maybe not looked a lot about who Pharaoh is, but he's almost like a one note character to me. (laughs) It's just like (laughs) stubborn, just completely stubborn. And just where that ends, there's like opposed to God and stubborn in it. And to where any, whether it's sincere or not, just those things of like okay we'll do the thing and it just never was there and that's where again when i look at that compared to the flesh it's just like you can't pretend to repent (laughs) like you know Mm -hmm. you can't pretend that you have freedom when you're in captivity it's like no you either get the freedom and that's where scripture says who the sun sets free is free indeed which is you you brought it to jesus but just looking at who he is he was a villain that was just like no no matter what god is doing even as you said to the point of destroying the economy destroying the people who i represent destroying everything me losing my firstborn just like and then just the vengeance just the ticked off like i'm gonna let you go no i'm gonna come chase you down mm-hmm. like i'm just can't let this happen so that just kind of sums up pharaoh to me like he was a villain because like that's just what he was was that but yeah other than that i'm tapped out <laughs> all right let's wrap this one up i'm chris i'm your the we're your church friends thanks for listening <laughs>